My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to The Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Welcome back, everybody, to The Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. This is my co-host, the always handsome Jason Bryant. Always handsome. (laughs) Only when I wake up and shave. (laughs) We got another handsome uh, guest with us today. His name is Johnny Howe, the man, the myth, the legend himself in the house with us. Johnny's uh, story was featured in our book, Men Built for Others. You can find that on Amazon. I'll throw in a shameless plug at the beginning of the show. But uh, yeah, Men Built for Others is a book that that, um, Crop Organization put together, and it wouldn't be what what it is today. Without stories like Johnny's, it's one of uh, the most um, heartfelt, moving, tear-jerking stories that anybody's ever read. Almost every time that I get feedback on Men Built for Others, they say, that Johnny, who's Johnny? You know, I want that, to, that's, that's a powerful story. So we have the honor and the privilege of tapping in with Johnny today and hearing his story. It's great to be with you, Johnny. He's, he's our friend. He's our brother. Uh, and not only that, but he's somebody that, you know, when I'm having a tough day and going through it, I know that I can call Johnny and talk to him. He's like a like a mentor and big brother to me. And and uh, so we interchange roles a lot there. But uh, Johnny's a mover and shaker. He's a married man. Uh, he's doing a lot of amazing things. So I just want, can't wait to unpack the story today. Uh, welcome to the Prison Post, Johnny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Jason, uh, what do you got? What do you got to say about Johnny over so, here Johnny before we Howe. start? Now, Johnny Howe. Don't start sweating on us, brother. Hold on now. Now we, I mean, (laughs) both of us, because when we first met, it wasn't under the most responsible circumstances. When I first met Johnny, he was still, and I was still both kind of into our criminality. And, and he was involved in uh, some of the more nefarious things at the prison. And I was too. And I I was looking for a cell phone at the time. Okay. And I, they said, you got to talk mm-hmm. to Tweety. <laughs> so Tweety was the guy back then. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. He, that guy tried to kill me. That, okay. <laughs> you mean we didn't all start out transformed? No, we didn't, we didn't all start out transformed. Each of us has a story, a journey, a journey of transformation. But I'll say this. When, when, when Johnny found his transformation, uh, he stepped up in a way uh, that was inspiring and just really called people to a new level of what was possible for them. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll get into it a little bit further when, when we talk about the working relationship that Johnny and I developed, not only in our AOD certification program, but also with mentorship. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting that conversation and, and kind of reliving some of those uh, incredible moments of, of being of service uh, to the community with Johnny. Yeah, when I, when I think about the top three most transformed people that I've ever met in my life, I think about you and James Willock. And, uh, and it's hard for me to think outside, outside of a third right now off the top of my head, but definitely you too. And, uh, I don't know if you brought one of those red things that I asked you to bring the other day on Facebook. Oh, I didn't. He, he, red. he, he asked me to bring my parole <laughs> ducket. Okay. Yeah. My parole ducket. I didn't bring it. I, I forgot <clears throat> in kind of a hectic day, yeah. but, but what, what I'd like to know, Johnny, is if you'd be willing to share a little bit of your story with our listeners and our viewers, um, your journey of transformation. That's right. Most definitely. Uh, so I was uh, born in uh, Hawthorne, California. I was raised by the Department of Correction. Um, so for me, um, you know, my mother, she suffered from alcoholism and depression. And I remember her drinking. Uh, that was one of her coping skills uh, for the majority of her life. And I was about five years old. And one of those mornings, I walked out to use the restroom about three in the morning. She calls me over and, um, you know, she's drinking and, you know, listening to oldies. And uh, she says, you know, the reason I had you was to keep your dad around. So as I grew up, I felt like, man, like I failed at that. And um, so as I grew up, you know, I, I had the idea. I, I created the life sentence of something was wrong with me. So what happened was um, as I grew up, I started looking for validation and acceptance. And um, for the majority of my life, I lived as a coward, so I took the easy way out. Uh, I could have went to school, got good grades, but that took too much time. And uh, could have joined sports, but that meant practice. So I joined a gang, and uh, I got validation through that. Um, and about 13, you know, she tells me, hey, I know you're gangbanging. I know you're selling drugs. Just don't get caught. Hmm. So at that time, I was like, part of me was like, yes, I get to do whatever I want. But there's a bigger part of me that 
um, felt that she finally given up on me. And for me, um, that, you know, allowed me to continue to get deeper involved in gangs. Uh, about 14 years old, and, you know, I shot at somebody. We go back to my neighborhood, and the guy who's kind of running the neighborhood is like, hey, so um, uh, what happened? He asked the guy who was driving, and he said, hey, he shot him. And uh, that guy picked me up and twirled me around. And I was like, damn, this feels better than getting good grades or any of that. So what happened was um, I continued to pursue that type of validation. I continued to do things that would give me recognition. Um, um, and so at the age of 17, I go into a, a, a liquor store with a friend of mine, and we kind of stake the place out. And we uh, pay for gas, and we find out there's only one clerk. So what happens is... Um, we pay for the gas, we go around the building, and we go back in. And then what happens is uh, we go back in and take two cases of beer each. We run outside, I make it to the car, I turn around, and the store clerk had chased us and had tackled the uh, the guy that I was with. I picked up a, a rifle and I, I shot and I uh, murdered a man for $27 and 96 alcohol. Mm. And at that time in my life, uh, the, the excuse that I used was like, oh, I'm a gang member. And, you know, he would tackle my own boy and, and like I had terrible victim language that just try to justify what I did. And as I got older and did some of the work with, you know, Jay and Rich and Ted and Matt and, you know, some of them guys, uh, I identified that I was a coward. I identified that I made that choice because I was more concerned what the people that I was with thought about me than this man's life. And, um, at the age of 17, I get sentenced to 15 to life, and I go into prison and um, start at the Youth Authority, and um, I start off uh, trying to do well because, uh, you know, I realize that I embarrass my mom a lot. Yeah. And there's a situation where uh, one of my homeboys had ran into the house, and there's some other homeboys that are still at her house, and uh, he's like, hey, there's these guys outside. So... Uh, the guys that were at my house run to the front. He tries to run to the back. And uh, my mom was like, hey, get your ass out there. Like, you're the one that started it. Mm-hmm. And her, his, his grandma and his, and his mom told him, well, at least my son's not a murderer. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I was like, man, what can I do to try to, like, you know, at least make her proud? So one of the things I did was I got involved in education. And um, I got my uh, GED, my A degree, my BS degree. And shortly after that, my mom passed. And um, how, so I was how, basically living for her. How old were you when you did all those educational accomplishments? It was like uh, from 18 to 24. Okay. okay. And then when I was about 24, my mom had passed. Mm. And I felt like I had no one to live for. So I got heavily involved with gangs in prison and drugs and, um, you know, selling cell phones to Jay. So yeah. <clears throat> so... so what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that, like the, the the crime that you committed that resulted in your incarceration, you you had that epiphany that like you know this is this is embarrassing for my family for my mom, but then when you yeah. lost her, it was like this there was this temptation to backslide, and you kind of gave yourself over to that temptation. Definitely, Johnny. Definitely. You, uh, the point I want to I want to I want to back up and uh, unpack this story a little bit more. I think about when you said you walked out in the living room and. At three in the morning, and she says, "You know, the only reason I kept her around is to keep your dad around." And how old are you today? Twenty-one. <laughs> oh, <48. laughs> yeah, you and the forty-eight. You, you, me and Jay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, even at to this day, you remember that. Now, it doesn't yeah. sound like you're using this uh, the story as an excuse, using the facts of what happened as an excuse to justify some type of behavior, like many do. But, mm-hmm. but you can still hear it. And I think in my mind, I can hear the, some of the hurtful things that were told to me, you know, you're not going to be good enough. You yeah. ain't going to amount to shit. You know, um, you, you, you better, you're not smart enough to go to college and you're not disciplined enough to go to the military. So you better learn how to move a shovel. Mm-hmm. And I can still hear those words. And, and maybe Jay has some things that he can still hear. Sure. And, and what do you think? I want to ask two questions on that. How did that affect you back then? And then also now that you're free and how, how, how long will you be free? Uh, is it three years yet? Oh, I'm, I'm off parole now. Okay. Congratulations. Yeah. Off parole. So has it been three years or four years? 
Yeah, three years, yes. Three years? Three years, uh, one month, <clears throat> days, and three hours. So one. <laughs> how many minutes? <laughs> I don't count. But... Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. one, like, how did that affect you back then when you heard that? And and why is that important that you share that story for other parents? You hear I hear that all the time, stuff in stores, Target, Walmart. I, I could hear it while I'm walking down the aisles. Um, and why is that important that you share that today? Why is it important for our audience and, and listeners who are family members and loved ones in the incarcerated? And, and how do you react to it today when you hear that kind of stuff? Okay. So uh, the first part is um, the way it affected me back then is that like it really uh, affected my, the way I seen myself, the way I felt about myself. Um, it allowed me to um, create a victim story where I made decisions from. Um, you know, it's, you know, I felt worthless. Like I felt like I had no purpose. And um, I think for most people, um, you know, Richard shared this with me. So the two most important days in your life is the day you were born and the reason you found out you were born. And um, I didn't know I was born for a long time. Like I didn't know my purpose. Uh, wasn't committed to nothing but criminal and gang lifestyle. And um, so back then, um, it just really affected my self-esteem. Um, you know, it, it, uh, you know, encouraged me to sway. Like I was impressed with, I, I was concerned with impressing people and oftentimes the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so today I think it's important because uh, sometimes uh, there's people who still believe what somebody told them so long ago. Uh, there's still people who have bought into that story and uh, carried around with them and um, repeat that story to them and still listen to that voice instead of saying, you know, that was one person's opinion or, and, you know, I think if, if I asked my mom today, she, she, she's, you know, it's passed, but um, I don't think what she meant by that uh, is how I took it. Like the way I took it isn't how she meant it. I don't believe. Right. Um, but I chose to, you know, use it so that I can justify criminal behavior, so I can take out the take the easy way out. And um, you know, so today, because you know, a large part because of you guys, like I have the opportunity to work as an alcohol and drug counselor out here. Uh, within a month of being paroled, I got hired as an alcohol and drug counselor. And um, and you know, we we have people that that get there and know they have four years over their head. And uh, there was a group of guys who just got drunk, you know, two weekends ago. Mm. And it's like, man, there's people fighting you harder than you're fighting for yourself. Right. And um, and when you go, when I ask those them questions, they're like, you know, do you think you're worth it? And they're like, no, I don't think I'm worth it. Like, I'm good just living a life of mediocrity. Like, I'm cool, like, you know, just getting by. Sure. And one thing that you share with me that I still live by, all of you guys, is that are are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? Mm. And today I definitely play to win. I That's don't, right. You know, I don't want to sit on the bench and play special teams. Like I don't need to be quarterback, but, <laughs> but you uh, want to be in the I'll game center again. You want to be in the yeah, game. You're exactly. a great, I'm just speaking of sports, <laughs> you know, we've got an event tonight, uh, coaching, coaching for life. And we're going to be talking about some sports and Johnny Howell is known to be the best center on the yard, on yep. the entire yard, the best lineman altogether. Like he can snap the ball and he could, he could hold the block. And, uh, I remember our, our executive director, Ted Gray, he would say, we need Johnny Howell for center. <laughs> <laughs> But there's there's something you, you touched on, Johnny, that I'd like to ask you about. You, you were talking about mm-hmm. how when you lost your mom and uh, the pain was a powerful temptation for you to go back. You know, for myself, uh, I had a similar exp- experience when my dad died. Um, yeah. uh, he passed away in 2002. We were on lockdown on level four. And as a result of that, like my unwillingness to deal with that in a constructive way, I kind of made myself really unavailable emotionally. And became a, a really like shallow, superficial person who wasn't caring about anything but myself. For you, though, you you shared that you regressed a little bit into the old criminal way of living. Share with us a little bit about how you transformed from that um, into the man we see today. So I think it was uh, um, there's a couple of things that contributed to that change. Um, for me, transformation didn't come overnight. Mm-hmm. It was a process, and um, uh, you know, one, one person that really came into my life, you know, you guys know her, Coach Taylor from Mongolia. Yep. And uh, she walks into a gym, you know, when, when self-help first began. And she's like, uh, if you want to be free, be of service to your community. 
and I didn't know what that meant, but I wrote it down. Right. And as I continued to get involved in groups and I continued to facilitate, uh, I would go to visit and people would be like, hey, mom, that's the guy that helped me get sound suitable. And I was like, damn, this is the feeling that I was searching for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, there was people like um, um, Dan Takini and, and Jesse and, uh, you know, the whole Ready for Life crew who, you know, invited me into a conversation about, you know, living a life worth having. Um, in 2010, I don't know if you want me to touch on this yet or not. Yeah, yeah. But in 2010, um, I uh, went to board after 20 years of incarceration. And I was going to hopefully be found suitable. And I walked out of there with a 15-year denial. And uh, I ended up going to this three-day uh, seminar. And what happened was um, on the first night, they invited me to do an exercise where I write out a 10-year vision. 10 years, what do you want? And I'm like, well, I just got a 15-year denial. I'm going to be in prison. They're like, forget that. Just what do you want in 10 years? What would you like? So I said, look, I want to be an alcohol and drug counselor. I want to be married. And I want to be out of prison. Come back the next day. Told them I did the assignment. But, you know, my thinking was like I just got denied 15 years. And that was in 2010. Uh, so what happened was I, uh, what they invited me to do was to start living for my future. Mm. And I didn't know what it meant. And when they explained it to me is they told me, look, um, when you make a decision, make it from your future self. Make it from a person who's an alcohol and drug counselor. Make it from somebody who um, is committed to getting out of prison. Right. And when I started doing that, um, the world started opening up for me. Um, Ted and, and Jay and Rich and, uh, you know, um, a few people started coming into my life, Eugene. Sure. And he brought the um, AOD program in. And uh, I was asked to, you know, participate and uh, take up a spot on this island of sobriety. And um, Johnny, what happened was we, yes. I just, I just wanted to ask another question as you're telling the story. Did you Did you okay. ever have any temptations from like the fellows on the yard or, or did you just know that after you came off that 15 year denial and you had that exercise with Dan and Jesse and the ready for life crew that you were going to start making new decisions or were there any temptations for you? And if you did have temptations, how did, how did you overcome them? So there's still temptations today. Mm. Um, However, the the difference today is like, um, I use something called consequential thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still make decisions for my for my future. You know, one thing me and my wife plan on doing is hopefully buying a house. Right. And um, I can't own a house from prison. It, it just you know, <laughs> the twenty cents an hour does not work out well. No <clears throat> mortgage payments. You were making twenty cents an hour. You were that. you were balling at twenty cents an hour. <laughs> I was getting eleven. <laughs> yeah. So uh, understanding like what is it that I want? Am, am I going to give this person? And two, like, I think one thing that we've learned is, like, giving other people our power. Like, I'm unwilling to give the person, you know, give somebody the power sure. uh, for me to make a choice to go back to prison. Sure. Yeah. Like, I'm not willing to do that today. Even though I'm tempted, believe me, you know, Costco parking lot is no joke. <laughs> but, you Johnny, know. Johnny, let me, let me, let me, you know, well, we have a lot of uh, uh, moms of the incarcerated to watch the show. And sometimes what you're saying, what you're sharing right now comes across so with ease and laissez-faire, you know, so high I'd already been in 20 years and I went to the board and got a 15 year denial. It's like, mm-hmm. what? So you were in for 20 years and we know that the board gives out different denials these days. Back then it, in the days it was one, two, three, four or five. Now it's three years, mm-hmm. five years, seven years, 10 years, or, or the grand master 15 year denial, mm-hmm. which almost nobody gets. And you had already been in 20, so now you're looking at doing 35 years, being in from 2010 to 2025, and you get the 15-year denial. Mm -hmm. What are you experiencing right then? And then, just what you said, you go to a group with Dan Takini, Eileen Takini, Jesse Bonderman, the Cornerstone crew, and they invite you to cast vision for a future. And you say, the future is what future? I'm going to be here until 2025. It's 2010. Mm -hmm. Are you you nuts? And they say, do it anyways. Mm-hmm. And they invite you to live from that future. So, um, one, what was that like walking away from that 15-year denial to doing the exercise? And then tell us about um, how you ended up fulfilling those things. I mean, it's obviously, it's what, 2021? Yeah, it's 2021. It's not 2025. <laughs> so, and you're sitting on the couch yeah. off parole. Off parole. You've been, you know, we're still on parole. So, you know, yeah. how'd you do it? 
so one, um, the grace of God, most definitely. Uh, he put people like you guys in my life. Um, he encouraged me. He uh, supported me. Um, and then he put other people in my life. Um, there's a, a, a buddy of mine. You guys know him, Steve Lomas. And um, he went to board after I did. And uh, he gets found suitable and he's going home. And he calls me over and he's like, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hey, um, if there was somebody who was getting you in trouble, preventing you from going home and preventing you from being with your family, would you consider that person a friend or an enemy? Like, that guy would be my worst enemy. And he tells me, what are you doing to yourself? Mm. And I started looking at that like, man, like, I made choices and all the trouble that I was getting into, bringing in a quarter pound of weed was a choice. Um, getting caught with cell phones was a choice. Um, testing dirty um, was a choice. And, um, you know, I started realizing, like, man, I could make better choices. Mm. And if, when I started making them from the future, um, my future changes. So God, you know, brought people into my life and he uh, opened my eyes and, um, what, you know. What was the what was the experience, though, John? Like, I think what Rich is... Okay, the denial. Yeah, I, the denial of, like, sitting... I mean, I, you know, by the grace of God, I never sat in front of the board. Both you and Richard have. <clears throat> I've, I've heard stories about it and I you know, spent years preparing for it. But I can only imagine what the experience was like sitting across a table and someone telling you, and give you a 15-year denial. What was that like for you? Well, first of all, I'd worked hard for that 15-year denial. Mm -hmm. So after I went back to the cell, smoked some weed and drank some alcohol, um, it was like I had already decided, like, I'm okay spending the rest of my life in prison. Mm -hmm. So now I just don't have to go back to borders often. Um, I honestly didn't even consider going home. Mm -hmm. At that time, um, and something I use as, as a victim story and as a crutch, as you know, the governor at that time was like, look, the only way a life is going to grow is in a pine box. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm cool hanging out and, and drinking and smoking and using cell phones. And um, I was okay with that. Like I was comfortable living that life. Right. And it's sad to say, um, but I didn't even want, not only did I didn't want, but I don't think I deserve something better. Mm. And that had to change first. Like I had to come to a realization like, man, you're worth more than spending the rest of your life in prison. That's deep. Um, that's so deep. And was it you know. Steve's words? I mean, uh, Steve's words. That was part of it. Well, well, so when when is that moment? Is it a gradual moment or, you know, uh, I know that you always say that, uh, what do they call you, Johnny? Uh, something about an eraser or a pencil or a butter knife? Johnny butter knife. Oh, butter knife because I'm not that sharp? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty I think sharp, I'm Johnny butter knife because you're not that sharp, but... Um, yeah. Do you wake up one morning and go, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to start going to groups. I'm going to start working on myself. Uh, I mean, I know that I know about Steve Lomas story. You know, the man is you. It reminds yeah. me of King David in the Bible, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. and when uh, Nathan, the prophet came to him and said, suppose a man have a, a hundred sheep and another man only have one. And that man with a hundred go and steal the one, um, which is what David did with Bathsheba and then sent her husband into mm -hmm. the war and he got killed in the war uh, so he could be with her. And David says, tell me who he is and I'll go kill him. And, mm -hmm. and Nathan, the prophet, tells him, you're the man. That's literally what it says. You're mm -hmm. the man. So Steve Lomas kind of gives you that. If you if there was somebody trying to hold you back and, you, you know, you, you get bowed up and like, you know, who is he? I wouldn't. He would be my enemy, yeah. my worst enemy. Mm -hmm. and, and Steve says, you're the man. You're your worst enemy. Is it that the next day or... Because eventually you got the name Johnny Duckett. A lot of people don't know what Duckett's are out here when we share that. But it's a little pass that you have to have in prison to go to any type of self-help program, to go to medical, to get into any of the buildings, uh, to get uh, to have authorization to get in any of the buildings that you're not supposed to be in regularly. You got to have one of those. Mm -hmm. And and some people might have one a week, two a week to certain groups. Um, but you're walking around with six or seven in your pocket every day for three or four years. So. Yeah. So what happens there? So, um, you know, it didn't happen like in the moment, but I started thinking about it. I started considering it. Um, and, you know, there were situations that, that happened that God allowed me to experience. Um, you know, in life, sometimes we, we come upon a fork in the road and we're um, challenged or we're given an opportunity to make a choice. And um, one thing, I, even today, and it's been a starting point for me is like I begin the day with God, take my will in my life, be with me for my recovery and show me how to live. And I start my day with that. And, and that's one of the prayers that I used in there. So another opportunity was 
um, like I said, God grants us opportunities to grow or to regress. And um, so another opportunity was we had took the test to uh, become certified alcohol and drug counselors. And uh, 10 of us took the test, and we were told that one of the guys didn't fail. One of the, one of the guys had failed. And I was like, man, I felt bad for him. And, you know, I was like, hey, let me know how we can support you. And I was thinking, like, man, you must be going through it. Like, the only guy out of 10 people not to pass the test, and such an important test, uh, you know, the certification, state certification of being an alcohol and drug counselor. And I was really feeling bad for this guy, and I'd walk laps with him and try to support him. <laughs> and one day I'm sitting on the yard. And, you share, um, could you share who he is? We're trying to get him on the show, too. No, you know who oh, Wade, yeah. it was. Wade. So yeah. It was Wade. Big Wade, where you at, Big Wade? Yep. You yeah. see, we there need you on the show to so hear the other side of the story. Go there ahead. Were, there were 10 of us, though. Yeah, so I was like, man, poor Wade. Mm. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I remember there were ten of us and we were we were yeah. we were chosen to be the first the first group uh, to get certified mm-hmm. um, largely because of our level of commitment to the program and to each other and to success uh, and we were gonna pave the 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 road for everyone else and then but because of the nature like it was a bunch of incarcerated guys who who built the program yeah um, we had mm-hmm. some support from a, a formerly incarcerated friend of ours Eugene Day and, and Mitch. Uh, of course. And of course, Mitch and you know Mitch and Ted, they founded the crop organization, and that's Definitely. that was our primary source of, of real support. But the communication was really hard, like with what was going on out in the world with the certification organization and us inside with what we thought we knew. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had gotten that news that it was like a like a Wade Taylor didn't pass. So sorry, yeah. I just wanted I just want to add that. Detail. And you were you were walking laps consoling him. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to console him and encourage him and taking notes for him, like. I remember this, you know, being on the test and you're going to, you know, what, what can we go over? And uh, so I'm sitting on the bench, the yard's going in and uh, uh, Ted comes up to me. He's like, hey, you know how we said that um, uh, Wade was the one that didn't pass? He's like, it was actually you. <laughs> Did he say it just like that though? Yeah. <laughs> leave it Pretty, at least that's how I felt. I remember walking lap, <laughs> we were walking laps that day and he, he, he told me what he found out. And he said, I got to go tell Johnny the, the, you know, the bad news. And uh, I said, you want me to go with you? He said, no, I'll go. Tough. Yeah. So, so he, so he tells you it wasn't was, Wade, it was you. So how, how was yeah. that? How was that? Like, what was that, that was experience like? like? My, well, you know, I, I, that was one of the first things that I began doing to transform my life. Right. To, to make myself more than a gang member and a criminal. Right. Like, now I'm an alcohol and drug counselor. And that quick, that was taken from me. Mm. And there was thoughts of, like, maybe all you are is just, an alcohol, is, is just an alcoholic and a gang member and a criminal. Like, stay in your lane. Like, you, you're trying to do too much. And, um, <laughs> man, that's crazy. Like, part of me was like, uh, man, if this is what it feels like, because Ted told me too, he's like, hey, don't worry, you know, you're going to retake the test. And part of me was like, hell no, if that's what it feels like to fail, like, I don't want to do it twice. Right. Like, I'm just cool once. Hmm. And I go back to my cell and, you know, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. And, um, there's an older gentleman with a white beard that used to always go to church. I forgot his name, but he was an angel. And, uh, when I'm standing by my door and obviously frustrated and upset, um, he's like, when you go in your cell, get on your knees and thank God for what you have. Mm. And I was like, man. And part of me didn't want to do that, but I went in there and I got on my knees and I thank God, you know, thank God for my good looks and charm, first of all. <laughs> and then, you know, I say, you know, I, I thank him for like an opportunity to breathe and to see and to walk and the little things that I took for granted for so long. Mm. And, um, so they set up for me to take the test again, and I take the second test, and I'm like, damn, this test is harder than the first test. Well, I want to go in between and, that, uh, though. Hold on. I, hold on. Before you go with okay. the story, I want to go in between because right. I, I was there with you, Johnny, and I just yeah. want to say a, like a testament to your character like and, and your commitment. Like you were walking up and down that corridor for weeks. With a stack of months, index cards like this. a stack of index cards. And every time I saw you, I almost got to the point where I was like, Johnny, give me a break. You'd be like, here, give me, give me some questions. Give me some questions. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you wanted it. You memorize that. Yeah. Everything. You wanted it. You, you wanted this transformation in your life. You wanted this new opportunity. And I just wanted to add, I didn't want you to blow past the fact that you put in the work. Yeah. So. Definitely. So it's a powerful story. So, of yeah, resilience. So, so I took the test again and I was like, man, it's more difficult than the first one. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I was sitting in church one day and, and the pastor shared that, uh, in order to be happy, you have to have something happening, happening in your life, but you can experience joy from, from the Lord. And I was like, you know what? I don't need a piece of paper to help somebody. Mm. Like if I want to help somebody, help somebody. Right. You know, you don't have to tell everybody and their mom that you're certified right. alcohol and drug counselor. Right. 
But I found out later on that day that I had passed. And I told everybody and their mom. And uh, it was just like, uh, it was just like probably one of the first things that I was really proud of. Um, You know, and it it came to pass, like if you put in the work, like the law of attraction, that's something that I live by today. Like if you're willing to do the work and you're willing to do good things, good things will happen. Right. And um, it's part of the story I shared today with the clients that I work with. Right. So that's pretty good. Something that's really like, I just love it about you is this guy's like Rocky, man. He's got a comeback story after comeback he does, story. He does. He's like, he's like Rocky for sure. Um, but one of the things I love about you, Johnny is like your commitment to other people there because there, there, I think there's a temptation for a lot of people inside. Like, you know, I need to do this group or I need to get right. this certification because someday I'm going to sit in front of the board and I need want to be found suitable and I want to go home. Right. But not you. Like, you were one of those individuals who did it for others. Like, mm-hmm. you were serious. When you said to Dan Takini and Jesse Bonderman that I want to be a counselor someday and I want to help people, like, that was in your heart. And, and I can say that with, with confidence because I was there with you. And I know that once you were certified, you began giving back to the community who was incarcerated in a whole nother no way. Would you be willing to share a little bit about how you were contributing to the community at Soledad? After you got certified? Um, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but I have a couple I was, ideas. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about Phoenix, the Phoenix House. I was thinking about your facilitation roles. Um, so, yeah. So, um, one thing that, that I've come to learn is, like, um, in order for me to be free and stay sober and, and um, have a clear mind, like, I have to serve other people. Like, I can't make it about me. Um, I'm not going to lie. It started about me. Um, I was on C status. And I wanted to get out of the cell, so I would go to group. And um, I'd be in the back of the group with Chris Wachnick mm-hmm. and telling him, hey, um, I'll go get us some weed and we can get high in the back of the group. And then he looked at me like I lost my mind. <laughs> and um, I was like, maybe that wasn't the right thing to say. <laughs> um, but then I, I started, like I said, I started uh, realizing, like, the, the freedom and, and the joy. And, um, like, one thing that we are taught in our training is, like, it's better to have a good question than a good answer. And to be able to ask people questions and, and encourage them to, um, you know, find the answers themselves and, and do the work. And um, one time in one of the groups, uh, we, were work, we were with a psychiatrist, and he's like, you know, um, you guys have a shovel. I just t- show you where to dig. Right. And understanding, like, uh, just encouraging people, like, hey, dig a little bit more over here, a little bit deeper. Instead of so wide, try a little deeper. And... Um, having that conversation and kind of goes back to the Johnny Duckett thing. Like I would have five or six ducats a day and I was in the SAP program and we would go there at eight in the morning, get out at 11, go back at 1230, go there to like three 30, do another group at four from four to five 30, and then do another group from like six to eight. And, um, part of that was, um, like just wanting to encourage other people to want a better life. Right. Like, uh, I was given an amazing gift. Like there was people who stood by me, who encouraged me, who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And, uh, you know, part of those people are the people from Palma, like Jim and Mia, right. all the students and teachers that would come in. Um, I have family that never came to visit me while I was in prison. Mm. And you have these people coming every week, you know, religiously, no pun intended, but, you know, coming every day to actually uh, support us and encourage us. And, you know, they thought that we were doing such an amazing deed for them students but they're doing an amazing thing for us. Absolutely. We knew that like, if you made a, a, a choice that was not your best, then you wouldn't be allowed to come to these programs anymore. And uh, just, you know, the, the, just the blessing that we got for being in that crowd and being in, sure. the, in the presence of all those people were amazing. Jim, Jim and Mia were actually uh, guests on the prison post. I, yep. think, I think they were the guests on the day that my son was born, Yep, which was amazing. Oh, awesome. Um, would you be willing to, because I, if I'm not mistaken, I yeah. think that you were the catalyst that Absolutely. kind of created the relationship between Palma School and Soledad. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Well, I wouldn't say the catalyst, but I was there when the conversation happened. Okay. And, you know, Jim comes in and he's like, hey, you know, we'd like to come in. And at that time, that was almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. Like having people just want to come into prison. Right. Everybody in prison wanted to get out. You know, <laughs> so many people wanted to come in willingly. Much so, less uh, once a week. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> For years. So we started a, a writing uh, pro, a project where it was, you know, 
uh, roses and thorns of, you know, relationships with our fathers. Mm. And he put together a book. And, um, you know, Jim is, you know, uh, part genius, part man. Mm. And, um, you know, Mia is, his, you know, that's his Robin to Batman. Sure. And without mm. Mia, there wouldn't be Jim. Without Jim, there wouldn't be Mia. And um, so we just progressed from there. And they're like, hey, what do you think about doing a reading? And I'm like, let's, let's do it. And even when it came to the um, conversation of the scholarship, mm. uh, it was an uncomfortable conversation. Uh, because there was belief that, no, you know, Jim and Mia belonged to us, like Life Cycle. I'm like, no, they're, they're not something you own. Like if they somebody else want to do good with them and, and bless other people, then we're going to support it. Right. Yep. And um, But, yeah, I was there, and, and it was a blessing. And honestly, to see what it's grown into today, not to take responsibility, but to be uh, a part of that and still continue to, to be a yep. part of it, like meet with them every two weeks and, and I was thinking about it last night when I was thinking about this meeting with us. Is like, um, I remember, I'm sure you guys remember you were there when Art came back into the facility. Yes. And there was five guys that we were incarcerated with wearing suits. Yep. And I was like, man, that could be me. Mm-hmm. And it gave so much fuel and energy and positivity. And, and like, I remember leaving there that day like, man, that's amazing. And, um, you know, adding to our vision and adding to, you know, casting that belief that, man, if they can do it, we can do it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so it was just a blessing. Johnny, I think about the people that you're talking about right now, the people that go in that have a heart of love. Uh, love is a verb. And Jim Micheletti, director of campus ministry at Palma School, you know, like you said, his Robin, Mia, she works with him. They go and build houses in Peru in Mexico, mm-hmm. they work with the elderly in Monterey County. They go into Soledad on a weekly basis when it was, you know, when COVID wasn't up and up and running. You know, they do exercises in empathy. I think we have one coming up next Friday. Mm-hmm. Just tremendous people who give, give, give. You're one of those types of guys. You're right. When when the Hope and Redemption team from the Anti-Recidivism Coalition came into the prison with all of our buddies from Soledad, you know, there was something mm-hmm. something special about all of us at Soledad, the lifers that were there that spent decades together and to see them come back in in suits. And a lot of people out here, like who've never been incarcerated might think like, how did that inspire you? Like what, what you just said right now, that sentence, like that could be me. Wait a minute. You mean it could be you as a person that goes back into prison? Why would you want to do that after yeah. 20, 28 years, Johnny? But yeah, there's something special about going back in and giving back and bringing hope because it is a place where it's built to take away your hope. It's built to mm-hmm. uh, objectify you and, and make you feel like this is where you're supposed to be. And in reality, mm-hmm. that's not where you're supposed to be. At least up until now. Amen. Because we're, we're working yeah. on changing that, right? And, and one of the things that, that you said earlier that really just jumped out to me was the, whole, the, the initial culture of like despair. That pervasive mm-hmm. despair from the governor on down, the the whole idea that if you had life in prison, then you were going to die mm-hmm. there. Like, that's not the way it should be. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it should be more like what, what Jim and Mia and the exercise of, of with empathy. That's that's what it should be. It should yeah. be a space of, of learning and rehabilitation and reintegration where the incarcerated population and the community are working together to get them back home. Right? So Yeah. Exactly. We want even, them. even a couple of things that, that stood out was, like, so one of the guys from the... Um, from Mark, uh, Jacob Brevard that you guys know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was somebody, and, and I'm going to put him on blast. We worked in the kitchen together at 3.30 in the morning, and we would um, intentionally burn toast so that you can sm- so you can smell marijuana smoke at 3.30 in the morning. And um, uh, I went, after the 15-year denial, I went back to the hole. And I got out, and one of the things that came up for me was like, look, you can't get high. Because after I got the 15 years denial, like I said, I was like, okay, I got to make some changes. So I'll just get high on the weekends and I'll use an illegal cell phone like every other day instead of every day because that's changed. Mm. And I ended up in the hole six months later. And when I got out, I met Jacob of all places in the chapel. And he's like, hey, I got some weed for you. And I was like, nah, you know what? I'm good. I'm like, I'm going to get out of prison and I got to stop getting high. And he's like, stop playing, man. Here, I'm like, no, for real. (laughs) And he said he went home that day and he said he flushed the weed that he had. And he's like, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. That's right. And, um, I think that's true for everybody is, you know, forever, you know, for the people who are still incarcerated, like everybody's watching. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
if you could be an example to somebody like that's an amazing experience. And um, to see him come back in and and the hope on his face and the and the happiness and the joy, I think about that when we have the meetings uh, with you know exercises of empathy of the guys that get to see us and doing well out here and and give them hope and inspiration and be like, man, I want that for me. And you know we're we're kind of paving the path, uh, you know. So Absolutely, it's, it's a blessing to be a part of that. So you get set free, Johnny. You you talked about working in the community as an alcohol and drug counselor. You talked about Coach Taylor having an impact on your life from Gogi getting out mm-hmm. by going in. And so pick up with where you started volunteering with Gogi, and then okay. and then we want to tee up the video um, that you recently created. You just released it on with Gogi. Um, is it called um, Humans of Gogi? Yes, Humans of Gogi. And uh, it's on YouTube today, and we'll share it today on the on the podcast live, and and talk about it with you in a minute. But just talk about how you, why was it important for you to go to Gogi after getting out? On top of you know, Jason and I know how busy things are, and and you're going over there to Gogi to write letters to people that are still incarcerated. I mean, it's time consuming. I've only written mm-hmm. written four or five letters in two years to people back in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel bad about that, but you made it a commitment to do talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, it started with, um, uh, her, her coming in, in a group of about a hundred men saying, if you want to be free to be, be a service to your community. And, um, that, that became true for me. Like I, I experienced freedom in prison. And, uh, in the beginning we had this long pamphlet of, of paper that we were facilitating. And they said, you could be free no matter where you lay your head. And I was like, man, I'm going to take her up on that offer. So I got more involved in Gogi and, and became part of the executive body and began facilitating and uh, offered things to, that were published in her books. And um, when I got when I got found suitable, I, I wrote her and let her know. And she's like, hey, what do you think about coming and working in the mailroom? So uh, as soon as I got out, she's like, hey, you want to come? I have somebody come pick you up. So that's what happened. I started volunteering here. And um, she gave me the opportunity to go back into prison. I've been in Pelican Bay and Ironwood and Chuckawalla, and I was actually getting ready to go back into Solidash to do a victim impact workshop, and um, COVID hit. Uh, but one one discovery that really came up for me was, well, while I was at Pelican Bay, it was count time, 430, mm. and we're walking around the building, dropping off books, and, and I was like, man, like I never thought, and I had been out of prison for a year already, and there was something that, that dawned on me that I didn't realize until I was walking on the yard, and actually two things. One was like, um, I never thought I'd say this, but I actually missed something from prison. Mm. And besides the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, <laughs> it was the uh, relationships that I had with the men in prison. Like in there, we're walking laps for like three, four, five hours. Sure. Out here, you don't walk many laps. You don't build those relationships. Um, you know, one of my biggest struggles that I was telling Jay earlier was time management. There doesn't seem to be enough hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And um, being able to establish those relationships out here have also been a little difficult because of work. I work two jobs, sometimes three jobs, and um, I'm married and I have to make time for my um, my wife and my dog and three cats and two birds and a hamster. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you got a whole zoo there. <laughs> yeah. You're not making it easy on yourself, brother. Yeah. But, you know, so those are choices that I've made and I have to no, keep yeah, get commitment. It. And, um, you know, exercising and, and, you know, meditating and praying and, you know, making sure I go to church and, and doing the things that got me to where I am today. That's right. And, and sometimes, you know, you get so busy, like, ah, I may not need to go to church today, but you can't lose that foundation. Because that's what got me out here and that's what's going to keep me out here. So, so, so what, um, what's, what's next for you, what, Johnny? What's next? Well, let's tee up the video. Oh, you want to do the video first? Okay. Yeah. So okay. You, you, you work at Gogi on the weekends now? No, I work here Friday, and then after that, I take work home. Um, I answer letters from people in prison. I send them. Um, so Gogi offers two free courses, uh, My Life Story, where they have to write a 15-page paper on their life with a handout that kind of leads you through it. They get a certificate for that, um, and then they do a power-up book. They do a book report on that, and then they offer other uh, courses for anger management, insight development, Yeah. Um, you know, so many different courses that and, you know, to go to board right now, you have to have documentation saying that you're working on yourself. Yeah, and the board and recognizes. one of the only programs that's been doing that through uh, COVID. 
and the board recognizes uh, the work that Gogi has done. And for family members out there who have a loved one during COVID, there's no programming going on right now, very limited programming on the institutional channels. They can reach out to uh, Coach Taylor at, at Gogi. Um, is there a website there they can reach out to and, yeah. and, and, um, and order some of those books so they can begin to do the work. But, but Johnny, tell us a little bit about Humans of Gogi, just maybe a minute or so, and then we'll play the video. Okay, so uh, Coach, uh, uh, what they've been doing is they want to share people's stories of uh, formerly incarcerated people who have got out. And, you know, some people that they interviewed have only been out uh, a few months. Uh, you guys know Ernesto Rojas. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he shared his story of coming out. You know, he was supposed to get deported. And then he comes out and they tell him, uh, we're not going to deport you. You can go to L.A., but you're going to have to go to San Diego where he has nobody. Right. So he shares that story. And they asked me about my story, so I was more than willing to share. And they're just uh, sharing uh, how Gogi's contributed to our life and the positive decisions we've made. All right. Did we show that, Nate? Freedom is being able to live a life of service, um, to experience a, a peace and a joy. Like everything outside of me doesn't create peace and joy and, and happiness. It's the uh, opportunity to be of service and help others, uh, share with them what I've learned, share with them what I have, and um, encourage them to want to live a better life. My name is Johnny Howe, also known as Coach Johnny, uh, one of the coaches for getting out by going in. So one thing that I do for Gogi is I'm the mailroom manager. A uh, week out of getting out of prison, I was offered the opportunity to start answering the mail for the mailroom, and I've been doing that for three years. The Gogi mailroom is a sanctuary. Um, not everybody is allowed just to come work in the Gogi mailroom. Um, you know, it's a place where I'm doing service. It's a place where I experience freedom, where I experience peace, um, where I know I'm doing God's work. Um, so it's a place that I look forward to coming every week. And um, it's an opportunity to give back. Um, I know that a lot of the students send in mail, and sometimes they uh, may not get responses. Like I said, I was in prison, and there was months that would go by and I wouldn't get a response. I don't want anybody to experience that. I want someone to know that someone cares. And there's a saying that says, um, nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And I want them to know that Gogi cares. Hi, I'm Cynthia Bracamonte, and I'm married to Johnny Howe. We've known each other since high school. Um, Johnny was always up to no good. He was riding around on a bicycle, never in class. From the beginning when I met Johnny, I really liked him, but we didn't date or anything like that. And then he went to prison, and I just kind of moved on with my life. I was in prison for 20 years, and um, I ended up going to the Board of Prison Hearings to possibly be found suitable. And uh, when I walked out of that room, I walked out with a 15-year denial. For three years, I visited Johnny while he was in prison. I was so in love with Johnny. I knew I wanted to marry Johnny, and I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Johnny. But Johnny was behind a wall that I could only go visit every so often. And once I left there, I left Johnny there. You know, I was committing crimes in prison. I was uh, using drugs and alcohol. Um, he was always drunk. He just, he was not ready to come out. It wasn't until I seen somebody else uh, make a change in their life, uh, somebody get involved with Gogi and somebody being of service to other people. Gogi stands for getting out by going in. And it's, um, it's a culture, it's a lifestyle. So the Gogi Life Tools are 12 opportunities to make better decisions. Uh, consists of things like bossing my brain, uh, which is a reminder that I'm in charge of my thinking. Um, something like belly breathing, which is a basic tool you have wherever you go. Uh, other tools like ultimate freedom. We talk about being able to be free wherever you're at. I was telling people I wasn't getting high or drinking anymore, and um, I was gonna start getting more committed to the groups that I was a part of, and that's what I did. It was so funny, when I went to go see Johnny, the guard told me, oh, 
you're here to see how? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you got the good how now. During that time, I did a lot of work, and Gogi was a big part of it. While he was in prison, he would tell me that he wanted to do the Gogi books. Once he was out, he told me, Cynthia, I still want to work for Gogi. I want to work for Gogi on my days off. He would tell me, do you want to help out a little bit? You know? I said, yeah, sure. So I would help out and do print out the postcards, let them know that we were getting their mail. I think for me, it's about seeing the happy faces on the guys when we go visit them in prison. Seeing how grateful they are that they're learning something new, they're getting new certificates, they're getting report cards, somebody cares. Our purpose now as a, as a married couple is to help other people, uh, other couples, other people, guys, girls, whoever. Just an opportunity to grow together and give back together. And we got married in prison without any of our family knowing and um, ended up getting out a couple years after that and then we built a life. I don't think a lot of people thought Johnny would ever get out. And you know, he's like, Johnny is what a lot of people want to be. They want to get out, they want to be free. They want to have, you know, their little place to live and be happy and they see that in him. I was given this gift and I want to give it back to other people. I want to uh, encourage people and, and lift people up and build them so that they can be the best person they want to be. There's one lesson you can learn from Johnny is never judge a book by its cover. My parents thought, oh, you married an inmate, Cynthia. They were so angry at me. And then they got to meet him, and my dad tells me, any chance he gets, God, Cynthia, you're so lucky. Johnny's such a great man, and I feel so ashamed that I misjudged him. My dad tells me that all the time. People, you know, believe just because someone's an inmate they can't come out and better themselves and I have proof I live with proof that you can be a way better person you know even in jail you could be a way better person than a lot of people out here that's what people should learn from Johnny my name is coach Johnny and my promise to you is that if you cast a vision and use the Gogi Life tools to bring the net to shore, you'll be happy with what you end up with. My name is Coach Johnny, and I'm a face of Gogi. Powerful. <laughs> I got emotional watching it. Yeah, before I, while I wipe my tears away, Jay, I'll let you start off. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Johnny. There's a, there's a word you use, and you use it frequently, and uh, I appreciate it. And that, that word is opportunity. And, you know, I was, I was shown the value of looking at life as a series of opportunities instead of obstacles. And I tip my hat to you, sir, um, for seizing the opportunities in your life and not giving yourself over to obstacles. Uh, mm. Tremendous testimony, and uh, I'm just glad to know you. Thank you. Johnny, <clears throat> I'm proud of you, bro. I mean, I'm proud of, I'm proud of you. It's amazing, moving piece right there. And you're right. The only way to true freedom is to service. And thank you for the relationship that we have as your friend, as your brother, going through CROP's AOD program, utilizing your certification out here today, supporting us in the reentry work that we're doing, doing the work that you're doing in your community as an alcohol and drug counselor, doing the work that you're doing to support other efforts like people like Coach, Go Coach uh, Taylor and Gogi who are doing their own part and we're just grateful for everybody in the reentry space who is doing their part to give back, to transform the narrative about the incarcerated and the formerly incarcerated and to doing what is the solution 10 times out of 10, love people. Punishment doesn't transform. You know, Jason said it 50 times on this show. It does not transform. 
And it may beat you into fear for a little while, but it ain't going to change you. And love does. Love wins the day. And you are tremendously blessed um, to be the loving man that you are. And I'm certain that it helps to have Cynthia by your side. Um, just a, a beautiful relationship. Had the privilege of having uh, you guys in our home and to see you happy uh, with a partner that supports you and how blessed it is to work side by side at Gogi with her. So we've got about five minutes left, Johnny. If you, you have some, some things that you want to say in, in closing, whether it's about Cynthia, your work, your freedom, and encouragement to those on the inside listening and to family members who are out here, feel free to do so. We lost your audio. Your audio. Can you hear? Can you hear us? I can now. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, they don't teach you this in prison. So, <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, first and foremost, um, God has blessed me with an amazing woman, and um, you know, I pray for her. Like I, I share with her. Uh, you know, sometimes in life you can always find someone who who may be funnier, who may have a nicer smile, or who may have a bigger butt. Not that I'm into that. But, uh, you know, so you can know if you look outside um, you, and you keep looking, you'll never find what you really want. Right. So for me, like, I know I prayed for Cynthia, and um, I prayed for an intelligent, smart, beautiful, caring, loving woman, mother, and, and friend, and God has blessed me with all of that. And I know, like, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without her. And I'm super, super grateful, and I can't thank her enough. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the friends that I have. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have. Uh, one thing that you guys are talking about, opportunities, also kind of correlates with perspective. And there's a story that I always hold true. It's, I'll share it really quick. And there's about a lady who gets into a car accident. And um, she talks about how, her life is over and no one's going to want her. And, <clears throat> and um, so she goes to the doctor and a little boy walks in and he's missing an eye. And she asks the little boy, what's wrong with you? And he's like, nothing. I'm a pirate. And she's thinking like, this little boy's missing an eye and thinks he's a pirate. So the doctor calls her in and, and um, the little boy sees her missing a leg and says, what's wrong with your leg? And she says, nothing. I'm a pirate too. So when I am um, introduced to situations where I have to make a choice, like I realize that there's always two sides, like mm. there's two perspectives that I can take and which one's not only the most powerful and productive and positive for myself, but for those around me and those that I say that I love. So perspective is definitely something that I hold on to. Yeah, Victor Frankel once said the last of human freedoms is the power to choose that no matter mm. what, no one, no one can take that from you. You will always have the power to, to choose your attitude and, and, um, and no matter what the situation is, uh, most people couldn't experience what it was like to spend 28 years incarcerated. Um, and to get the, some of the news that you receive, you know, your mom passing in the, and not passing the test and the 15 year denial, but Johnny, you're the, you're the, you know, the Rocky Balboa of the day, man, the comeback kid, <laughs> you keep coming back. And now it sounds like you hit your flow. You're adding value to the community. Uh, we love you, man. We love you here. Um, I'll leave the last words with Jay, and we'll close out. Oh, there's no last words. You said it all. He said it all, Rich. You, you're an amazing. You're an amazing man, Johnny. And uh, we're, you. we're honored to call you our friend. And we love you, and we encourage you to continue down the road of of greatness that you're on. Thank you. Thank you for and being thank on you the, for the opportunity post. too. Thank you for being on the Prison Post. You can find us on on thank Facebook you. at the Prison Post on YouTube at The Prison Post, just all the way across social media, on Twitter and Instagram at The Prison Post. And also, um, The Prison Post is a podcast that is uh, owned by the Crop Organization. Reach out to us at croporganization.org on our website. Um, there's a tremendous amount of things that we're doing. The Prison Post is just a, a small part of it to transform the narrative of, um, to show America that there are people that are coming out like Johnny are making a difference in the world and you not you cannot pigeonhole them into um saying that once a criminal always a criminal this man is is a is a is a world changer a life changer mm. 
And so, um, you know, visit us at uh, croporganization.org, at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs on Facebook and all across social media on Crop Organization. We look forward to, to, to speaking with you, talking with you, and uh, thank you for being a part of this show today, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good seeing you guys again. All right. You too. Likewise. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs. 